Thank you for listening again, or for the first time, or for the last time. We share this moment, and I am grateful for this. I was born to rage for my father's pain. Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livius Nedden. This week, not only do we have a book, but we have a special guest host. So the book is Low Down, Death Right Easy. We've been talking about this book for a year and a half now, Rob. Does that sound about right? Pretty much almost since the beginning, yeah. Yeah, so J. David Osborne, um, the follow-up to By the Time We Leave Here, We'll Be Friends, um, is tonight's book. And and we have a guest. That's right. So our guest tonight is going to be someone we've talked about before, someone we've had on the show. And someone who is just very integral to what we're working on right now. So, Payla V, I'm going to give the quick uh, uh, bio for her and then we're going to welcome her on. Payla Via is a writer and editor from the U.S. West Coast. She's the editor-in-chief at Manarchy Magazine, an editor for Perfect Edge Books. And in 2011, she edited and published Warmed and Bound, which we talked about for practically ever. Uh, she's married to a scientist, has two sons, and a favorite podcast called Booked. Can I just say I'm glad we cleared a, we cleared that up right at the end there with her favorite podcast? Yeah, yeah. This has been a point of contention now for some time on the show. <laughs> I want no uh, misconceptions about where and the loyalty ever, lays. Yeah, we just got to get nice. her to say it's her favorite podcast so we can use it to, to quote her in other places. That's right. So let's see if we can do that. Payla, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Just, well, to, clear, just to clarify, what is your favorite podcast? Um, I can't decide. Oh. I think. I think it's booked. I'm pretty <laughs> sure it's booked. You know what? It's okay because I'm pretty sure mine is booked too. Mine, I'm. I have no doubts. Mine is booked. <laughs> so. Well, what's your favorite men's magazine? Oh, uh, Manarchy. Details. Sorry. Ouch! Ouch! <laughs> <laughs> is Detail still around? Is Detail still a thing? Is it a men's magazine? I don't even know. Yeah, Kayla? good question. I don't know. Details. Oh, it used to be when I was like 20. <laughs> yeah, I remember back that. when they printed magazines. Yeah, they were yeah in scroll form. Um, details.com. So it is still a thing. But no, I would have to say that yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go with Manarchy as well. When I, when I was searching for a details magazine on my my phone right now, the first um, search result like suggested like previous search result was details magazine gay, and then right after that was <laughs> details magazine iPad. Just FYI. Oh. That's uh, that's based all based on algorithms and stuff you normally search for, right? Uh, well, not me personally, I don't think. But like... Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right, you guys, you guys want to talk a little bit about this book? Yeah, sure. yeah. Um, okay. Let me tell people about the author first, in case anybody hasn't heard him on this show before. Um, J. David Osborne lives in Norman, Oklahoma, with his wife and dog. His work has appeared in Warmed and Bound, John Skip's Demons, and several other online and print publications. He is the winner of the 2010 Wonderland Award for Best Novel for By the Time We Leave Here, We'll Be Friends. His newest novel is the pitch black Oklahoma noir, Lowdown, Death, Right, Easy. Oh, well, it's a good thing that that's his newest novel because that's the one we're talking about. It's funny how it, that works out. It is. But now, see, here's what you should do. If you do a, a Google search for lowdown death right easy, it doesn't come up lowdown death right easy gay. But the first thing <laughs> that came up when I was looking for information on this book, it was like a 
like an African-American church gospel YouTube video that I didn't watch. Mm, yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah. I saw that too. I was trying to figure out if the, if, where the title comes from. I, I was I was hoping you would say that you watched it four times before you realized it wasn't the book trailer. <laughs> uh, um, all right, I guess I'll tell I'll tell the listeners since we all read the book, we don't need to know what the synopsis is, but our listeners probably are curious about it. So, uh, trapped in a rural Oklahoma town fueled by meth and doused in codeine, Arlo Clancy has made it his life's goal to keep his troubled younger brother Sep out of prison. Poverty and the lure of easy drug money were pressure enough before a gruesome discovery beneath the waters of their favorite fishing hole sent their lives into a tailspin. Torn by cowardice and conscience, the brothers make a fateful decision which will bring them ever closer to Danny Ames, a vicious enforcer for the local meth trade, in a nightmare world where their only chance of escape might be... Is there supposed to be another word there? Because that's the end. It's got the little dots after the might be. All right. All right, little cliffhanger in the synopsis. Apparently, <laughs> just gonna go there to verify. But um, there you have it. The first, the the first thing we should talk about is that cover. Do you, do you have it pulled up there, Rob? Oh, I think their only chance of escape might be low down death right easy, because if you go to Amazon, it's dot dot dot, and then right right underneath it is in all bold, at uh, low down death, like the title. So I guess that's what it is. Hmm. Honest mistake, I guess. Yeah. A little bit misleading yeah. on the synopsis. Well, good to know. Yeah, I was wondering about that. So the cover. What do we think about the cover? I think it's a pretty interesting looking cover, to be honest. We talked a little bit last episode about having to have an eye-catching cover, um, to, you know, to, to sell in the modern world of Amazon. And I would have to say that I think that anybody who, who scrolls past this has to just blow it up, even if to see what that weird image is, which is like two fish kind mm -hmm. of overlapping. So I'd have to say it's a great choice for a cover to get people's attention. Yeah, but if you look closer, like at the cross section where the two fish kind of like, because it's two like giant, what would they be, catfish, I'm assuming? I'm not a fish person, obviously. because sure, it they kind of look like cats. Too close into like the sport kind of area for me. Um, like fishing requires patience and, you know, going outside and everything. Anyway, at the cross point where the two fish like cross over each other, in the center of that, it actually, there's a skull. Dude, there is a skull. That's really cool. Really? Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, definitely a, an eye-catching cover because it's got this freaky, weird image kind of hovering in midair. And the background is basically just like a, looks like a farming kind of field with some trees in the background. And it's all kind of antiqued looking and stuff. Like I think it was what a cool tattoo that would make. Like every time I saw this picture, I yeah. thought that would make an awesome tattoo if you're into, you know, uh -huh. fish and stuff. Fish and skulls. Which I'm not. Two things that I really don't care too much for. Fish and skulls. <laughs> yeah, but I agree. That would make an awesome tattoo. So, there you go. When we're in Boston, maybe we can get you one of those. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, who wants to start off talking about what actually goes down in this book? Well, let me Why give it a shot. I, I want to talk a little bit about the synopsis. Cool. All right, so the synopsis gives you a pretty good idea of it. The one thing I, I want to say before we even start talking about this book is that um, the synopsis doesn't sound, you know, terribly different from, you know, a lot of the other crime stuff we've read. I mean, I think that it, it fits right in line with it. But this book almost doesn't feel like it's about crime when you're reading it. Think so? 
I didn't. Yeah, it was, you know, it was all about it. It's so much more to me seemed like it was about like kind of like despair and, and like like the 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 loss of desire for something better. Just a very bleak look at some people, not so much the crime aspect. OK, I could see that. Like when uh, like the person's delivering furniture and stuff and it's just like so monotonous and terrible and like soul draining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Rob, you and I have been in retail for a while, and the characters gets a job at what I'm assuming is Walmart. It seemed like Walmart, like in a big in a big stores like sporting goods section, and and that's like the reality of of life. I mean, it was just kind of like bleak and 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 desolate at times. So and thankless, yeah. Like when the guy, the customer is uh, was like complaining to the guy that they don't have what he was looking for, as if the guy had any control over the fact that they didn't have it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely identify with that. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, that's good. I, I, I'll agree with that. But, I mean, I mean, so much of the book really is, like, very crime-packed. There's a lot of drug activity going on. Um, some hits. Like, or, well, not hits, I guess, but, like, some murdering and stuff like that. So, yeah, that's the thing. Like, I always, <laughs> that's the funny thing about, like, my perspective versus Livius' perspective is, like, I always think things are way darker than Livius does. Really? Yeah. I'm apparently very jaded and, and desensitized to everything, according to Rob. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree with him. So. All right. So uh, even in the uh, synopsis, this is something I want to bring up. And we're, I mean, usually we just kind of go through and tell you what the story is. But these are kind of more I, I kind of have some comments I want to get out. Um even in the synopsis, it does introduce a handful of characters. Uh, well, three, but um, it seems like in the beginning of the book, at least for me, there was a lot of characters introduced kind of all together, uh, which is fine, typically. Um, but it gets a little confusing because the style um, that he had was a little bit, I think, intentionally confusing in the beginning. So I felt like the characters were all kind of like uh, muddled together and mushed instead of like more distinct. What did you guys think? Yeah, I had a problem following it for sure. And I think in the end, um, you know, I have this immense appreciation for what he was able to do in terms of building this complex plot and all these people that, you know, are interconnected. But it's just, it was kind of a bummer that uh, for maybe the first third or so, I was so confused. I couldn't appreciate a lot of what was happening. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's, in some ways, it, it, it follows the, the same kind of storyline that, that a lot of books with, with large casts have. Rob, when you and I read, um, God damn it, uh, what's her name? The Harry Potter chick. Casual Vacancy, J.K. Yes. Rowling. Yeah, we had the same kind of problem. Whenever you introduce like a big cast, the, the issue here is that Osborne writes in a very minimalistic style. So you've got like a name and basically what they're talking about to, to relate them together with not a lot of fluff around it to make the characters more discernible at the beginning, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So you don't, you don't get a lot of background on them right away. It's and it's a very minimalist style. I mean, this is, there's not an extraneous word in this whole book. Yeah. So you, you basically have to kind of, and it does come together and you, and you do make sense of it, but yeah, it is a little murky in the, in the early going. It's also interesting how he does not do a lot to describe the characters. And I talked to him a little bit about that. And I think it, it was intentional because, um, you know, he talks about uh, what makes people see race in books, for example. That's something he mentioned. And 
And so if you go back, he doesn't actually describe, you know, he'll never come out and say what, what a person's race is, but he will just drop different clues that you have to figure out on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, just the way they talk or the way someone else talks to them, that sort of thing. Yeah. And that made me feel like, um, which I guess in retrospect, I appreciate that, like that, the, the fact that everybody was so similar or so minimally described made me feel like the things that are going on could have been anybody in the book, which, um, you know, was just like, oh, you know, this kind of like small town, everybody's kind of up to the same crap kind of feel, I guess, is what mm-hmm. I, I got from it. All right. And here, here's going to come my uh, my big city ignorance. When I finally figured out that that some of the characters in the book were African American, I really and and this, I know this is going to sound crazy. It's not that I thought there weren't any black people in Oklahoma, <laughs> but I've never really given it a whole lot of thought. So I, I read this. I was like, oh, there's black people in there in Oklahoma. That, huh? It's interesting. So, but yeah, I guess that's my born and raised in Chicago. <laughs> kind of you know my thoughts on oklahoma that's yeah oh this is going in the year in review for sure i i don't i mean like i haven't looked at the census data from 2010 or anything but i'm gonna have to go ahead and say that practically any state you look at is gonna have african-american people oh no and that's what i'm saying it's not that i actually ever i just it never i never really thought about it as as having a you know an african-american population you know so i don't know yeah well, you know, here's what's interesting is if you honestly, Oregon, no black people, except See, for and I would have thought that. To, yeah, when you when you're close to Portland, it's it's a little bit normal and um but yeah, southern part, holy cow, it is weird. It's super weird. Well, now and all right, so I lived in Vermont, which I think honestly has like statistically the lowest or I guess the highest percentage of white population of any state in the country, which is like oh. 97% or something. Um, but still, like it wasn't like I never saw anybody who wasn't white. I don't know. Let's not get into a whole race thing here. I'm Unless, trying to look up the data as, as we speak, and I'm not, I'm not finding it. The statistics? I think, <laughs> I think race is going to keep coming up, though, because the, it's really uh, deeply in, involved with what's, you know, what the book is saying and what the book mm-hmm. is, is doing and, and all that stuff. By the way, 7.7% of people in Oklahoma are African-American or black persons is what the United States Census Bureau calls them. Black persons. Okay. Black persons. Hey, can you look for, um, can you look at Oregon now? Yeah. And Vermont, since you're all over this, okay. I want to see how right I was. <laughs> Select the state. Which, guy, which one would you guys like to hear? For? Oh, hold on a second. Oregon, really big on the clickable map. So, black persons, 2.0%. Wow. The country is 13.1. Wow. All see? right. And then uh, Vermont's going to be tough. Let's see. Do you know they, where Vermont they, is? Yeah, but they have like a little, little map and it's not a really big area. So, like clicking on the actual. See, do you see New York State? It's just to the right of that. Yeah, along with like four other. Oh, okay. Here we go. The map they give you is tiny. There we go. Okay. Uh, black persons, 1.1%. Boom. Wow. Okay. Did you, like, win a contest? What, <laughs> what was that? Bob won. <laughs> and by by comparison, our, our home now, Illinois, 14.8. Yeah, there you go. Above the national average, huh? Yes. Oh. Yes. All right. <laughs> but Pele does make an interesting point. I, I think that there's some commentary um, 
in the book relating to even though that you're right and i think he did do it as this could be anybody and it really felt that way and that's why i was kind of surprised later in the book when i find maybe i was just late picking up on the clues which is possible it's been known to happen um but yeah i mean it could have been anybody and it didn't change the story any other than uh my thought of did i miss this in a description somewhere you know that was my only thought when when i finally realized it yeah yeah so really for me the point where the story kind of solidifies because there's like snapshots of what's going on in everybody's different different lives in the beginning and then it kind of like the stories start to build up a little bit of bulk starting around the time where the two brothers go what's it called carping did we talk about this before that weird thing where like you stick your hand into the fish's yeah, which, mouth which doesn't come up in the book oddly enough the name doesn't because i kept waiting for it unless right I just kind of passed it over mm-hmm. yeah again like scant details he just kind of basically described what they were doing without giving more of like a, a you know an actual idea of what it was but yeah like you know what? Oh, sorry to interrupt, but um, I remember this one part where he just describes it's like the parting of wet lips, it, the actual like fishing part where he sticks his fingers in, in mm-hmm. that hole or whatever. And I mean, that just haunts me. I think that's so disgusting and such a vivid description of what that is. So I think it's, it's just kind of telling that he's he'll say Osborne will say things like that, but won't ever, you know, just won't drop the name of the actual sport. Yeah. Okay. I have the name of the actual sport. It is not carping. It is noodling. And I'm ah, noodling, it's damn it. Hillbilly hand fishing. <laughs> but Rob, I think you, you do carp. I, I think you are a carper um, because the, the, the carping definition <laughs> is complain or find fault continually, typically about <laughs> trivial matters. So I think that you're saying um, that you don't do a lot of carping, I think was inaccurate. <laughs> oh, wow. Does it, Ooh. am I really like, am I the nag of the podcast? I, I totally word copped you. Oh my god! I'm just gonna throw it in for tonight. Wow! <laughs> and you have such proof. There's so much evidence, even in this episode so far, because I start talking about percentages of populations and stuff. <laughs> Damn it! It's true. I'm carping. Uh, the only right. sport you get involved. In. <laughs> that is, yeah. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I would probably be like a gold medal winner in carping. <laughs> all right so anyway what i was trying to say is they go noodling and um and it even says it in the synopsis right um, yes they go fishing yeah yeah, yeah. And, and something really freaky and weird happens that that uh kind of for me at least is a point where it, it's it's more of an anchor to the characters that like now we have a reference point for like you know that shows up again later in the book. So I know, oh, this character, there's more of a timeline of what's going on with these characters instead of just these like kind of snippets and stuff like that. Yeah, that was helpful, actually, just as a navigation tool. Yeah, exactly. There's not a lot we could say about the story. I mean, let's face it, the book is short, 200 pages, Rob. Does that sound right? I think like 190. Yeah, I think it yeah. creeps in just under 200. So tell well, me anything and... about Go ahead, Pela. Oh, sorry. The all the white space on the page is crazy. I mean, his his writing style is every sentence just about you start a new line. You notice that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's almost like yeah. a screenplay. Yeah. I wonder what the word count is because it's it's got to be a very low amount. Yeah, I'd imagine so. Yeah, it's a quick. I mean, it's a quick read, and yeah, it's definitely not a a giant volume. That was going to be one of the things that I mentioned. Um, not to step on you, Livius, but it felt like more of like a big short story almost. 
Yeah, I my my only thought was I wonder what the difference now. Um, Pele, you read it, you read a print version of it. No, I he emailed the an arc to okay. me. Okay. Okay. I read it on my Kindle, and yes, I noticed that there was a lot of a spacing. It just I was just wondering if in in a print book version it would look more. Yeah. You know, gappy in the page or not? Oh. Yeah, or or that way, either way, I guess if there would be any difference. Because I mean, I I noticed it, and and the only part I noticed is sometimes the actual section breaks didn't differ very much from so i'd be into like a second or third sentence in a paragraph be like oh okay we've switched to a different character without realizing it because of the spacing on the page oh yeah i see but we had a, like an uncorrected proof pdf copy so i mean i can't say that that's you know going to hold true for the final product yeah it's kind of the danger of getting um advanced copies of stuff that so might not be the fin- the finished product so i guess we can't fault spacing against him fault him for spacing Oh no, and I didn't. I was just like I said, it was just yeah. a curiosity. I thought we might actually be able to compare a Kindle to a to a print copy, which doesn't come up very often for us. Right. Um, what I was saying earlier, uh, I think maybe, um, <laughs> is that the the one oh so we can't really talk much more about story, but I want to go back to the the feel. I think there I felt almost an emotional feeling at the end of every section. And that he did that so well with delivering what these characters were going through. And that's why I said to me, it almost didn't seem like it was a crime novel because I was so sucked into kind of like the, the disparity of the whole thing that every time I, like they read the last line in the section, like I felt kind of emotionally affected by it. Hmm. I'll say, especially with the Arlo uh, storyline, I, I think that was more like emotionally resonating for me than the other characters, but I can definitely, um, yeah, I see what you're saying. Maybe not for every character, but for me, Arlo, the Arlo Clancy character definitely resonated with me frequently. See, and I couldn't read Arlo without thinking of Arlo Givens. The, oh, <laughs> so every time Arlo came up, I was picturing like this really kind of hilarious old white guy who's probably, I don't know who that is. Who is that? The TV show Justified. Oh, he, plays okay. a, he plays a criminal, but he's a Raylan Givens, who's a U.S. Marshal. That's his father, and they're, and they're hillbillies, you know, so it's they, okay. they live in a holler, and it's, yeah, it's great stuff. But, yeah, every time I saw that name, I couldn't help but think of Arlo Givens. <laughs> All right, yeah, well. As far as the um, emotional uh, weight of it, I, I think that that is because Osborne is just a really talented writer. I think he could go you know, into any kind of genre or, you know, through literary works and, and he would be, he would just kind of hold his own because he can do, he can get to the meat of something to, a, to the meat of a person without having to, you know, work very hard at it. I think it's just a natural talent of his, Yeah, which is rare. And I think that's more rare than, than a lot of us care to acknowledge. <laughs> Um, I know I didn't mark a lot of dialogue for quotes, but his dialogue was easily amongst uh, the most realistic I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, we recently had a discussion off air in, in relation to something else, the three of us, about talking versus writing and, and what the difference is, like listening, trying to, to take down what somebody who said that's a writer and kind of comparing it to what they write and how different it can be. Um, but he was able to catch dialogue, I think, I think is exactly as realistic as, as whatever his experiences are that led him to this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I guess the, the trap with this book is cause it's so short and, uh, we are so terrified of spoiling anything that we're probably not going to have too much to talk about as far as the actual story goes. Definitely. Like, I don't know, like it's, it's picked up so much momentum and then like 
for me, again, this is something that I read in one sitting because that's, I guess, just what I do now. And um, so the, the, <laughs> the beginning was just like, you know, okay, I'm going to just ride with this and it's a little confusing. And then, like, like I said, those kind of anchoring moments happen where, like, it establishes more of, like, reference points for the characters. And then, you know, it carried so much speed and everything. And at the end, it was just, like, it was a really nice okay. momentum to carry me through the rest of it. Are you guys ready to, to go into some quotes? Sure. I'm going to introduce one other thought just uh, mm-hmm. before we go into quotes too much. Um, did you guys happen to notice that there were some things, and this might just be me not really like fully catching the reference or something, that seemed like there were some things that were introduced into the story that there never was really clear, like a clear tie-in with what was going on? Um, there's two examples I can think of. Uh, there's an albino guy at one point. Mm-hmm. And then there's a character that loses his teeth. Now, I'm assuming the teeth losing has something to do with drug use, but it didn't seem like that character was a big drug user, right? So I was a little confused by that. Hmm. Any thoughts on those? Um, yes, I I do agree, at least insofar as the albino character that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, that I'm not not really clear on, on where that was headed or, or where it came from. Um, the other one, I, I'm I'm kind of blanking out on from the from the actual story. Okay, that's fine. Well, I mean that's the thing. It's not like it was major threads. Like he introduced a pivotal character that just like stopped, you know, ceased to exist or something like, and the story carried on without it. It's just things that happened that were like. So the thing with um, losing teeth, it's something that's like, it's incidental. It's not a big thing, but at the same time, if I you know if I were just starting to lose teeth more than one and you know in a short period of time like him like that would be a big that would freak me out so i was freaking out on behalf of his character and to not really know the explanation for why that was happening was just a little bit like oh hey you know i, I wonder what was going on with that so not a big deal yeah. just something that like stuck out in my mind but i wanted to get your take on it my take on losing teeth is you're right i, I think that it's one of the creepier things that can happen to you <laughs> Seriously, there's not a lot of things that bug me. That bugs me. That's what you used to chew. To me, it matched the uh, just the setting, the way that everything was so bleak and kind of on a you know downward spiral. Yeah, that's fair. Well, in in that whole now that we're talking about the teeth loss and stuff, it, you want to go back to something that Pela said is that he, I think Osborne in a couple, probably three or four different instances in this book that I can think of, managed to do that. That, that thing that gives you kind of like the creeps and the chills without being overt about it. Like you had said about the the whole fishing, the the noodling part where he sticks his fingers in there. Right. There's a thing with the losing teeth where it's not real overt to be disgusting, but you feel disgusted. But it's in a very, okay. you know, he does it in a very subversive manner, which is far cooler than going into a three-page description of something foul in order to kind of shock somebody. I'll go with that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, you want to do some quotes? I'd love to. Can I start? Yeah, I'm gonna co- I'm gonna disclaimer and say that I only got two quotes because I was so into the book mm-hmm. that I didn't really stop to to catch much. Um, this first one is, um, I'm trying to. Figure, okay, so he's uh, talking about a guy who's drinking and then takes some pills. I just want to set this up because I realized it 
without the context doesn't make any sense. All of the images in his mind got VHS grainy, public access vision. The bass rattled the window panes and he could hear the glass vibrate and bend and it sounded like a lonely voice singing to itself in a cave. Yeah, there you I go. I like that description a lot, especially that whole VHS public access vision part is just fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I've got one that I'd like to share. Uh, this is a conversation between Arlo and uh, a bartender. They're talking a little bit about the military and uh, I just dug this quote. It's a big monster. They're talking about the military. It's a big monster that eats people and throws them up different. I don't begrudge the kids. It's kind of like talking about how, yeah. like, you know, when you come back from war and stuff, you're a little effed up. Well, and what's the, um, there was a line right before that, that where somebody is kind of, is cause, because he's arguing with someone else, right? Mm-hmm. Did you get the line before that, or is that the yeah the the quote before that the other okay so leading into it uh, um, says sure but today no draft and they need bodies so who do they attract a few good kids but most of them I wouldn't piss on if they were lit aflame right and then yeah the line that follows is it's a big monster that eats people and throws them up different I don't begrudge the kids and yeah. and he's talking about the military right he's not talking about war. You know, just the, the, the military the yeah the yeah. Mil- the body of the military itself yeah, yeah. and there again that bleakness yeah wait what'd you say i said there again just that bleakness that he can give you and oh. in, in just like a mundane conversation is really good all right i'm gonna go with uh with another one and this is a uh, i guess it's not really important who the character is but he, he wakes up after sleeping in his car um, the structure of his life came back to him. The town rolled past dollar stores and gas stations with iron bars, yellow grass, HUD homes. His transmission shuddered in a third gear, hands, steering wheel, cup holder sticky with syrup, the heat burning his left arm through the closed window. He pulled into the grassy parking lot, the vinyl bucket seat bonded to his back. I think I felt each one of those things as he was as he was actually describing them and not not because of the context of the story or anything. I mean, it like picks up and there's a short paragraph about him waking up in his car. Just I think that that's the kind of thing that he was able to capture so well mm-hmm. is just how like kind of depressing this little car ride is for him through this crappy little town he lives in. Oh, yeah, for sure. Pela, do you have a quote you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I do. Um Neither of them spoke much for the duration of their stay. They kept the radio off and let the silence move around them and inhabit them and explain itself to them. I love that one. Yeah, I don't think I didn't feel like it needed very much context to begin with because it's so strong on its own. Yeah, definitely. That was one of my yeah that that relationship again was one that I liked them you know probably the most in the book. But like yeah, that particular part of the book that the scene or that that part of the story was really i thought i i really liked it a lot i think this this might be a first because i had that i'm actually sharing a quote with a guest normally it's you and i run into the same ones but yeah i actually had that one marked down too nice Ah. (laughs) i have a this is my other quote um toward the end of the book so i'm not going to give any context for it but i think it stands alone just um as as a thought that could go anywhere uh, <clears throat> everything looked soft. He wanted to crush it all. Oh. Short and to the point, but it really tells mm-hmm. you a bunch. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna do one more here. Actually, I'm gonna do I'm gonna do two more. This one I, I really like. This is the the words of wisdom again. That I only ever learn things from fiction books. Arlo believed that a man is owned by the people he hates. I thought that was great. Yes. 
Very yes. good. Yeah. That that actually kind of made me uncomfortable because I was like, oh crap, you know, mm-hmm. thinking of anyone that I may have hated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I th- I think I'll just stop there. <laughs> you don't you don't actually hate people, do you? No, I I really don't actually, but you know whatever I do that's that's close to it, you know, <laughs> not like somebody. Um, I know what that is. I know what that feeling is to feel like that there's a certain control that, you know, you give out, give away by feeling strongly about someone. Um, (laughs) This is, uh, and this is the other bit of of wisdom I got from this. And this is going to seem a little out of context. Um, not women, son, people, no matter who they are, the most honest people in the world, straightforward. Everything someone tells you is a tiny piece of code. If you're ever confused, it's not because you're you're being messed with. It's because you haven't learned how to listen. Hmm. Yeah, the book has tons and tons of quotes like that. And even in reading it, I was thinking, oh, that's that's a really good, that's a pretty interesting, you know, thought or it's it's a, it's a deep notion and stuff like that. Throughout the whole book, I just for some reason chose not to, you know, quote any of that. <laughs> them. I don't know why, but yeah, that is pretty consistent throughout the book. All right, so I have I have a what I think what I think might be a fun little game to play. Um, the three of us, uh, Pale obviously has known uh, Mr. Osborne longer than than Rob and I have, but he's been a guest on the show a couple of times, and you know we're friends on Facebook and stuff. So I think we're going to play a little game where I am going to say something that occurred to a character in the book, and you guys are going to guess if it's based in reality or if it's fiction. <laughs> okay. That Are good. we ready? Uh, sure. Uh, I don't really. All right. Just let's just go. Let's do it. <laughs> this is this is this is off the cuff. I don't even have this written down. So, um, the wait, question wait, wait. would Can be. Can I ask a question? Sure. We don't ever get to know the answers, do we? Unless uh, Osborne pipes up. That's true. But let's see what what we think about Osborne. So here we'll start okay. with an easy one. Worked in a sporting goods section. Pela, true or false? True. Okay. Rob. Stuck his hand into a hole to grab a fish. Absolutely, that happened. Um, Pela moved furniture for a living. I happen to know that was true because he posted pictures. Of, well, this is of, this is um... this is why I thought this would be fun to do because we know some stuff about this guy. Um, Rob killed somebody. I'm gonna guess false. Okay. Pela smoked a lot of weed. Oh, I don't know. False. <laughs> See, and I have to know that's false because I saw something he posted today. But I thought it would be fun to go through and uh. kind of point out what kind of things he actually might have been taken from his life. And it's interesting because when you know somebody, even as peripherally, as peripherally, peripherally, peripherally as as Facebook, it's uh, it's interesting to see like the the scene where the guys are moving furniture. I saw Osborne post a lot about it and how much he hated that job and stuff. And you can, you know, not only did it feel very genuine in the book, but it was interesting to have that access to him to know that this, those stories were likely based in reality. Oh yeah. It's a, it's a different, it tints your lens. I think a little bit when you're reading the book um, to have that access to the people for sure. Like, uh, I, think may, I think he may have killed somebody. You think he killed someone? I think he may have. <laughs> I think he has it in him. You think so? That's oh. a little harsh. You're calling him a murderer, basically. You know, listen, some people may take that as a compliment. You, Rob, you don't have it in you to kill anybody. Now, you see how that sounded like it was an accusation? Like, a, <laughs> <you know. laughs> Now, all right, Livius, do you have it in you to kill someone? 
Um, yes. And don't qualify it. It's a yes or no answer. No. <laughs> no, I don't think I do. I think we I'd should. I'd like to think, think I do. I think about it a lot. <laughs> like, probably more than is normal. <laughs> well, I think it just depends. Because I, I, could, I could see it happening under the right circumstances. That's, yeah, it's, that was the other thing I was Particularly if it's, if it's about protection, protecting someone else. Yeah, that's the easy answer. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking the same thing, that under the right circumstances, there's probably some motivation for anybody to do something. It's just what the level of motivation is. Yeah. I mean, I'll break a guy's leg over a, over an award for the podcast. That's no true, you did do that. that. Yeah, yeah, so. <laughs> Livius is not a, against grievous bodily injury. <laughs> it's just that next step. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Anyway, uh, I think we got in a little off the beaten yeah. path. <laughs> Let's wrap it up and do some ratings. Let's do that. Rob, would you like to go first? Yeah. All right. So um, this is one of those books where uh, I knew I was going to struggle in the description and explanation of what goes on in the book. And um, and I was really hoping that that wasn't going to keep people from wanting to read it. It's It's a complicated kind of book that I guess the best thing I could say is it's not done like your typical – you know, mass market book. So it requires a little bit more work or a little bit more faith uh, at the beginning, but that's not something that should deter you from reading it. Uh, like we talked about, the strong points were definitely like the way that he could bring such heavy emotion or just weight to uh, an individual, you know, part of the book in, in a very simple, you know, kind of cut down basic kind of way and um overall like i said it's a quick read and i and i enjoyed it um so i'm gonna give it three and a half stars Pela, would you like to go next i'd be happy to i i think because of osborne's innate talent for writing and because he has he has a lot of wisdom and i really really hope he doesn't lose that i think you know he's kind of um on the younger end of his career and and I think it's rare to have the wisdom that he does have, and, and so I just really want if he can if he can hang on to that and hang on to his creative talent, I think he's really set on a good path. So yeah, because of those things, I would give it a four four stars. I um, I knew much like Rob that I was gonna have a very hard time talking about the story. Um, part of the reason was that I was having some trouble following it early along. And the one thing I thought about, and, and this kind of came up a little bit when we were talking about Craig Walwork's um, The Sound of Loneliness, is that I think that Osborne is kind of like a, like a writer's writer, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. I think that writers can really, really appreciate what he does mm-hmm. in the small space he's able to do it in. And then Rob pointed out this is not mass market stuff. Unfortunately, as much as I hate to say this, I'm more of a mass market kind of guy. So, mm-hmm. but I do recognize that his talent is 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 fantastic for setting a tone and and a feel. I was very tempted because I got to jump on this book long before Rob started. I mean, probably four or five days beforehand. I almost sent him a, a message just saying, "Hey, just start kind of mentally taking notes on these characters because you know it's going to get a little confusing." And I thought, no, because I don't want to. I want him to be able to review it just like you know, like I'm going to without any type of preface or whatever. So. Um, that being said, the writing is super, super solid. Um, I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to recommend that people read it. I'm afraid that it might lose some people that don't want to read for just the, 
the quality of the writing, but I, I'm with Rob on this. It's three and a half stars. It's a fantastic writer. So. There it is. All right. Low down, death, right, easy on the books. J. David Osborne. Um, I don't think we mentioned it before, but um, no stranger to the show. We had him on when we were interviewing from Wormed and Bound. Um, and also later on, he did our intro to Bizarro uh, episode, which just was like, so when we interviewed him for Wormed and Bound, it was a small insight. But when we had him on for the intro to Bizarro, like you just saw his mind on display and he did an incredible job to this day. That's one of our probably one of our most popular episodes. And uh, I think it's because the dude is just like, you know, really, really interesting to to listen to. And he knows his shit like when he's talking about something, he knows it. So, um, yeah, that's all. I just want to make sure we didn't forget to mention that. Yeah, my plan is to read um, By the Time We Leave Here, We'll Be Friends, probably en route to Boston. That's probably going to be my, my plane ride read. Nice. So, yeah. Cool. So what else we got going on? Um, well, uh, Pela, at her request, we actually made sure, because she said she really, really wanted to hear Skip Papersley on this episode. <laughs> so we went ahead and, and put in a request, and, and Skip you know, was able to put aside all the other stuff he was working on and get us a book news. So I think we should maybe play that. Sounds good to me. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. TV host Bill O'Reilly is releasing a new book in September called Killing Jesus, A History. This book will chronicle the history and politics leading up to the crucifixion of Christ, because apparently the Bible didn't do a good enough job. When reached for comment, Bill O'Reilly stated, If anyone asks, my co-author wrote all of it. I still want to go to heaven. In other news, Sony has announced plans for the PlayStation 4. What does this have to do with books? Two things. First, the announcement has caused the largest spike in teen reading since 2005 when the PlayStation 3 was announced. Second, as the PlayStation 3 was a cheap Blu-ray player, the PlayStation 4 is going to be a super expensive Kindle, allowing you to pay $60 or more for remakes of Moby Dick, Heart of Darkness, or Batman whatever. Now, the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. James Patterson is in for a private show as Private Berlin slips to five. The fourth spot is taken temporarily by Lisa Gardner. It's touch and go. Robert Jordan's posthumous work, A Memory of Light, is number three. Number two is the 10th of December by George Saunders. And back on top, where I like her, is my wife, Gillian Flynn, with Gone Girl. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. All right. Once again, that was Skip Papersley with the latest edition of Booked News. Um, interesting stuff, huh? Yeah. You know, what occurred to me in listening to that is, would you read a book on your TV? Never. No. I mean, I, I realize I could do it now with my laptop, you know, just plug in my laptop and stuff. But if a video game system actually had it, like, would you read it like on a 50 inch TV? No, nothing. No, no thought that that might be something you'd want to do. If I was like a quadriplegic, sure. Okay, so we're going to wait for that moment. Pela, how about you? Would you read from the TV? I'm afraid not. I, I think it would be too hard to, um, I, I don't know, I'm just so accustomed to having the full, uh, you know, sound and visual experience. I just don't, I don't know. When you're reading? No, I mean when I'm, have, oh. when I'm watching TV. <laughs> okay, sorry, I get a little confused. It's kind of like I've been doing this wrong the whole time. Um, what about you, Liv? You know, I think I would try it. Um 
but I also tend to, I have really weird reading habits because, you know, a lot of times like I'll, I'll go stand outside and I'll pace while I'm reading. So I mean, probably it'd be hard to do if I was just like sitting on the couch. Um, but no, the thought occurred to me because, you know, we, we got a, a PDF of Lowdown Death Right Easy. And I was thinking that when we were talking originally with Pale about doing this, I was thinking if she had a PDF, she probably read it on her iPad. And then I thought, you know, she just got an iPad. So how did she, you know, so I was actually thinking about people would read PDFs on their computer. I don't know that I'd want to do that and read a whole book on my computer. I have done it, but then it occurred to me that, you know, if you did it on your TV, I don't know. I have no idea why. <laughs> you we just really love Skip Papersley. That's what I was trying to get at. You just want a 50 inch e-reader. That would be so cool. Wouldn't it? No, okay. no, thank you. Uh, oh, uh, you know what? I, I forgot to mention one other thing. I mentioned all the Osborne stuff, but I forgot to mention that um, one of the reasons that we uh, decided to, uh, ask Pela to join us for this review was because uh, we knew she read it because she had written something up on Manarchy about it. She did a little review over there. Um, we'll definitely have a link to that article in the post for this, uh, or you can just navigate over to Manarchy's website and uh, check it out there uh, and see that weird fish image that we were talking about too. Speaking of Manarchy magazine, Pela, it's been... It's been a few months since we talked now about Manarchy, mm-hmm. at least here on the show with you. Mm-hmm. Um, what's new with the magazine? Um, it's just a lot of the same. We, I think we have found something that works, and we're just going forward. I, we, we talked a lot about um, if we like what we're doing, if we like the name, if we want to continue to be a men's magazine or you know, try to just do consider different options. And, and the more we talked about it, it seemed like the more we, we figured out that we – quite like what we're doing and, and it's just it's so weird that it it works so nothing new to report just same a lot of the same well we are very glad to hear it because we've liked it since the beginning and i was all about voting for no change no change whatsoever change bad as far as manarchy goes so we're glad to see that uh, that the magazine is continuing on in its fine way um you know listeners manarchymag.com that's where you need to go. Check it out. There's articles. It's updated very, very frequently, and there's a lot of good stuff in there. I think um, I came up with an idea while we, were, while we were talking about this just now for a column that I could do on a regular basis there um, called Carping, <laughs> where I just, <laughs> I just complain about stuff. Um, I already kind of got started with my uh, author bio article, so... Livius, I didn't know that you were anti-change. Where, where were you in that discussion? Um, I wasn't because I just want to say, you know, you guys need to just stop because I like it the way it is. And I thought that wasn't really contributing anything. So I decided to to be the silent, mm. the, the silent but partner see, and all that. And too many people will do that. And then you have like only, you know, the same 10 or 12 people deciding everything. So Livia, next time you get to speak up. Livius probably doesn't vote in elections either. I have never once voted in an election. <laughs> Dad, I knew it. I knew it. No, I'm not. I'm not against change as a general rule. I was just against manarchy change. Yeah. Right. Well, good to know. I'm glad that we worked that out then. All right. Enough talk about manarchy. So here's what we really want to talk about. And we didn't really mention this at all. I think my Rob might have dropped a hint earlier, but you've been doing a ton of work with Booked and the anthology. Any thoughts or anything you'd like to share with the listeners from uh, from that aspect? Oh, that is going to be so exciting! I can't wait. I can't wait till it's out. I can't wait till people get to read it. I think people are just going to love it. I think I feel the same way. Mm-hmm. I'm she glad to hear that. someone else say it because Rob and I have been feeling the same way about it since it was just like a little thought in our heads. So. 
Uh-huh. No, it's it's good, and it, you guys pulled together some amazing talent and and got them to give you, you know, five-star work, and it's going to be awesome. I'm excited. For anybody listening that's not in the notes, that just came right from her heart. <laughs> <laughs> well, Pela, thank you um, again, not only for the incredible amount of work you put into the anthology, but for taking the time to review a book with us on top of the workload of Manarchy and the book anthology and the Via household and whatever else you have going on. So thank you again. My pleasure. Always. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up for uh, another fantastic book review episode of booked until next time i'm rob olson and i'm livia snedden keep reading 